Grace, peace, mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, and we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds, embolden us with your Spirit to proclaim you to all who need to hear it. In your name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, my mom told me I can be anyone I wanted to be. Turns out identity theft is a crime, though. (laughs) But did you hear Mickey Mouse was arrested for identity theft? Yeah, he was charged with being goofy. (laughs) Well, identity theft is a serious problem. We all know that. I mean, some of you have experienced it. Paul witnessed it in Athens almost 2,000 years ago. While passing through the marketplace on one of his journeys, looking at all the food, clothing, and knickknacks the Greeks were peddling, he finds this altar with the inscription, To the Unknown God. Paul sees this here at the location of the uh, Areopagus. A huge attraction, even in the days of the philosophers. This is the hill of Ares. So if any of you have been to Athens, you've seen the Acropolis. There was lots of other stuff around it. The uh, Areopagus was a little bit below that courtyard there, and it was a judicial site. Trials were were held there, even uh, murder trials. But around all this was a market uh, somewhere in there, and that's where Paul found himself on that day. He passed by the altar for the unknown God. This is a painting of it here in its, you know, its supposed heyday, uh, you know, probably B.C., the time of uh, Socrates and Plato and whatnot. By the time Paul was here, it, it had started to crumble. You know, Gre- uh, Greece and Athens were under Roman control now, and so they weren't uh, interested in pumping a lot of money into keeping these sites uh, maintained. So even by the time Paul began to visit, was walking through there, it was kind of starting to crumble and crumble away and stuff. But while he was there, strolling through the streets, uh, the, uh, the old philosophers had long since died. But there were some newer ones. They, they argued with him. They had a conversation with him. And these guys were dirt poor, these philosophers. They scraped a living by entertaining the upper crust of Greek society at dinner parties and evening lectures. But they weren't paid very much. What they said, however, had a huge impact on society, though. In fact, America still has some Greek ethics from the philosophers embedded in our laws and founding documents. Ethics such as moral virtue, integrity, truth, justice, and, believe it or not, the right to life for the unborn and the aged. Now, Greek ethics have been eroding away every generation, but there's still a trace of it in our, in our culture. The philosophers of Athens and the uh, Areopagus considered God to be something of human imagination. They, they had their gods. They had Zeus and Athena and Ares and so forth, but the philosophers knew that these were human constructs. But there was always the possibility that there was a God they didn't know or knew about, or was beyond their philosophical imagination. And so they recognized that with this altar in the marketplace. The marketplace was where the traders and business people would come from all over. So the Greeks 
put up statues of the many gods of the, of the peoples who would do business there. A kind of pre-modern uh, version of inclusiveness for all religions. You know, it's like, come, come do business in Athens. You know, we are open to all people of all types. But there was something else going on in that public square. Identity theft. Not against the shoppers or the citizens, but against God. Our God. If we don't know who God is, or if we seek to claim His identity for ourselves, well, we'll never know who we are, and we won't know God, and we'll never truly live as God created and redeemed us to live. While he was there, he would argue about this to the people there, and then he would write about it later to the Christian churches across Asia and say, being God's children, we ought not to think that he is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. He didn't tell Christians this because Christians were making statues of God out of gold and silver and stuff. No, the altar to the unknown God in Athens had made such an impression on Paul, he felt the need to warn Christians to the dangers of misidentifying our God. Since the time of the apostles, believers in Christ have imagined that he will answer prayers with our desires over his. That he'll side with us in politics or personal squabbles. He'll even make your favorite athlete win the Olympics or your favorite team win the championship in whatever sport. He'll see to it you'll win your war. He'll see to it that our cause will triumph because our cause must be his. But if that's who we make God out to be, we've stolen his identity. We've made him into something else. Where would that leave us? Who could we call on for help and forgiveness if we've made ourselves God's? No one. We must look upon Jesus. In Christ, we know who God is and who we are. Unlike the Greeks in the days of the Areopagus, we know who God is. The Athenians shrugged at the concept of the resurrection. They didn't believe the body was worth resurrecting. To them, the body was corrupt, evil. They were partly right about that. We know the body is corrupt because of sin. But the Greeks and their philosophers saw the body as something you want to get away from. You want to get out of it. The goal for them was to separate mind from body and live in some kind of an eternal disembodied life. They didn't really have much of an answer beyond that. Their gods were like humans. You know, Zeus and, and uh, Athena could appear as human, but they were never really human in that they had human flesh, blood, and bone. We know our God because he did become human. He became flesh, blood, and bone. And it wasn't strange to him. It was precious. It was worthy becoming and being human because he would be the sacrifice that would save you and me from death everlasting. To him, it was worth being the sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the whole world. No Greek god or Canaanite god or Assyrian or Babylonian god ever did anything like that. None of them did. Because they were dead from the day their human creator made them up in their minds. No god other than Jesus says, 
you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Knowing him then, we know who we are. We, we who are flesh like Christ are made in his image. God made from one man every nation of mankind. Now, not everyone believes this, right? There's a great identity theft going on, way bigger than the ones you pay a monthly fee to your bank account to prevent. Whitney Stark, not the attorney in Portland in case you happen to be a client, but the cultural theorist Whitney Stark in Amsterdam, Netherlands, believes you and I should turn our eyes away from the binary aspect of nature, such as male and female animal species and, the way, and, and even Newtonian physics. You know, positive and negative electron charges? Because those observable things in nature encourage people to think in terms of male and female. And we should stop that. It's oppressive to people. We should think in terms of everyone creating for themselves who they are and what they are. Now, sounds radical and on the fringe, right? But it's not in the opinion of uh, who Stark and those like her write about and engage in lectures and dinner parties like the Greek philosophers. See, there's a new ethics taking shape and taking hold in society, in case you haven't noticed. But Stark's way of thinking is disconnected from reality. Human life is not arbitrary. While what you think is optional, the implications from it aren't always optional. In other words, thinking that something is true doesn't make it true. What is true exists whether you believe it or not. And the truth can hurt or it can heal. We didn't construct ourselves. Someone else did. So, wouldn't one think it would be a good idea to take into consideration what the Creator has identified us to be? Stark and those who think like her should take note, but she probably won't since God's word is all too oppressive for her. Nevertheless, Paul says, of this God has given assurance to all people by raising Jesus from the dead. This is to say, first, the identity of God is made known in and through Jesus Christ. And second, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God's identity is shown to us in Jesus Christ and our identity is in Jesus Christ. Let no one or no devil steal that from us. All this means we have a purpose of being Christ to the world and making him known to people who don't know him and making him more known to, to those who already do but need encouragement and discipleship and comfort and love and support and hope. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Physics confesses the reality of what God has made. Our Lord has made you and redeemed you by his name and word to be who you are, and it is good. There's no one else like you. Isn't there a song from Sesame Street like that or something? Or is it Dr. Seuss? I think it's Dr. Seuss. God loves you for who you are in Jesus, his son. You are so important to him. 
You will be his forever, and he is yours for eternity. Amen.